Hey guys, it's Kayla. It's Evan. And welcome to Podstetrics. Welcome everybody to the next episode. So this is episode 10 and Evan, what are we talking about today? Today we're going to be talking about cesarean section. Yay! And just a quick medical disclaimer for you guys. Yep, so we are not medical professionals and this podcast does not constitute as medical advice. If you do have any queries or concerns, please see your healthcare provider. Beauty. So like all of our other content episodes today, we're going to start off with a case study. Let's crack on with the case. Let's crack on, mate. So... Sandra is a 27-year-old G1P0 who was presented to the maternity ward with spontaneous <gasps> rupture of membranes and contractions 3 in 10. We should have put a comma in there. <laughs> Upon admission, over time, her contractions remain similar and her cervix is 4 centimeters dilated with 40% effacement. She is diagnosed with a 40% delay in her first stage of labor. The midwife observes a bradycardia on the CTG and calls in the OB. Following a fetal scalp lactate, it is determined that baby is distressed and the team decides that an emergency C-section is appropriate. Following appropriate discussion with Sandra and her partner, she is taken to theatre. Okay, so let's start off with a definition. So what is a caesarean section? And really a caesarean section is an operation, so it's a surgical procedure. And here an infant is delivered through an incision to mum's abdomen. Um, and also through her uterus. And this is really performed when vaginal delivery is not indicated. So for example, if it's an emergency or if it's been planned prior. It's also really important to note that the operation should only really be performed when the benefits outweigh the risks. And I guess, Kayla, this is similar with all medical procedures, really. And also the fact that informed consent must be obtained before the procedure is done. Amen. So there are two main types of caesareans. There are two main types of caesareans. Here we're looking at an emergency C-section or an elective C-section. So when we're talking about elective caesareans, they're usually booked days or weeks in advance and are usually booked for daytime hours. Advance. Advance. I'm I'm fancy today. So there needs to be a clear distinction between two things. The first being elective caesarean and the next being an emergency caesarean whilst a woman is not yet in labor. And this is achieved through a specific categorical methodology, and this is undertaken by a multidisciplinary team. Okay. So emergency cesarean is further broken down. So to give an indication, if it's a category one, birth will generally occur in 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah, and really what Kayla's talking about here is that there's four categories that an emergency C-section can be broken down into, so one to four. And this is really based on, you know, the severity of the presentation and why the woman needs an emergency C-section. So again, if they're a category one, C-section will take place in 20 to 30 minutes and then we go down as we move. Um, So now, Kayla, let's move a little bit into indications. So why a woman would need to have a cesarean and there are multiple reasons as to why a woman would need a cesarean but we'll go through some of the most common ones the which ones the most common ones (laughs) so the first is something that we've been talking about quite a lot and that is malpresentation so for example breach presentation if breach is complicated Mm -hmm. another reason is failure to progress again something that we've been talking about but we want to focus on things such as baby getting tired and experiencing some sort of stress yeah Yep. Another one is maternal condition. So primary genital herpes. Yep. And so another one is a previous C-section. And this is something that we're going to really be discussing later on. Um, So women who have had a previous C-section can have a normal vaginal delivery. And this is through something called VBAC. So vaginal birth after a cesarean section. But this is something that we're going to talk about later on. Um, Another reason as well is suspected fetal compromise. So this just again means that something's going wrong that's causing stress in baby. 
and then multiple pregnancy, especially when the first twin is not cephalic. So obviously, Kayla, when we have two twins, they can be in, you know, different positions, each one. Yeah. And so if the first twin is breached, generally we don't go for a normal vaginal birth just because the risk is too high. Um, but if the first twin is cephalic, then we can. Yeah. Beautiful. Another one is placental abnormality. So things like placenta previa, placental abruption, but these are obviously a lot less common. Um, it's really important to note that in reality, this is not an exhaustive list at all. And there are many reasons that a C-section may be performed. The overarching theme of this is that of this is that it is only indicated that a C-section be performed if the risk of vaginal birth outweighs the risk of that of a C-section. And whether this be psychological or physical it's something that must be taken into consideration and a really interesting example of this is a specific phobia and this is called tocophobia and it basically means a severe fear of childbirth and labor so in situations such as this it's indicated that a c-section be performed over that of a vaginal birth yeah and now i suppose so for any of our listeners that don't work in a maternal health care environment so this could be some of our listeners that are planning to get pregnant or listeners that are, are pregnant um, we really want to go through the procedure and what they can expect. Um, really what, what happens in the procedure, what may be asked of them, and, and really what, what, what they're going to be experiencing. So we start off, as we always do with all of our medical procedures and conditions, with informed consent. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if the woman's not consenting, then we don't go ahead. Yeah, of um, course. With you, the operation. You, you can't, yeah. And ideally, this is something that, you know, mum and dad or mum and mum or dad and dad. Yeah. Should be should be prepared for, yeah. Um, and and really, it should be a joint decision. Obviously, it should be the person giving birth as the overarching consenter. Yeah. But both parties should be involved, so they know what they're getting themselves into. Yeah, and this is usually discussed within the antenatal period. So parents are pre-warned that you know sometimes things do go wrong, and this might be something that might happen whilst you're in the delivery room or before that as well. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about the preparation stage. So what's going to happen before um, the woman is wheeled into theatre? Yeah, so spinal anesthesia is the first thing we want to talk about. So mum is awake during the procedure, and I'm sure this is something that a lot of people have either experienced or heard of, but mum is awake during the procedure and partner is allowed in the room with her. So if an epidural has already previously been cited, so we're talking about birth suites, Mum has asked, mum is in the progress of her labour, she's asked for an epidural, and then it comes up that an emergency caesarean is indicated. An epidural has obviously already been cited, so mum might be provided with a top-up using the same site. Yeah. Yeah, and more rarely we're looking at a general anaesthetic. It may be used if indicated or required, and that's usually, again, in an emergency. Yeah, so next we have the urinary catheter being inserted, if it hasn't been already, and the bladder can be emptied. And this is really because when the woman has an epidural... Obviously, she can't walk and go to the bathroom. That's the first reason. But the second reason is because of the anatomy of the uterus. So again, the uterus sits behind the bladder. And so if we have a full bladder, the uterus can't contract properly. And so yes. this is why we need to ensure that the bladder is empty. Um, antibiotics are also given through an IV prior to the incision being made. Yeah. And I guess some additional things to talk about as well that occur before. So a blood test is done. This is called the FBE or the full blood examination. And this is just really making sure that mum doesn't have any alarming signs, things like infection, things like clotting disorders. So is mum at a higher risk of bleeding or things like her red blood cell count? Yeah. Making sure that it's not too low. Beautiful. Uh, antiemetic is usually given and that's to stop nausea. Yeah. 
And so women who are lying down flat during a C-section are at risk of something called Mendelssohn syndrome. So this is really when the gastric contents or the things in your tummy are emptied into the lungs. And this results in something called a chemical pneumonitis, which is really a fancy way of saying that the gastric contents are irritating the lungs. And everyone knows this. Like if you've ever, you know, vomited or have that had that thing happen where a bit of bile comes up into your into your mouth, Ugh. it burns. Ugh. And so just imagine that in your lungs. And this is really because of the uterus applying pressure upwards. So it's to stop that from happening. Yeah. And next we have a VTE risk score. Risk score. So what does VTE stand for? So that's venous thromboembolysis. Yeah. And which, this is, which is just a clot. Which is a clot. And yeah. this is to see the risk of clotting. Yeah. Um, if need be, compression stockings or Clexane. Clexane is an antithrombotic injection, will be prescribed. Yeah. Yeah. So during the procedure... What can a woman expect? Because, I mean, obviously this is quite scary. A lot of people that haven't gone into theatre would find this very confronting because you've got so many different people in the room kind of all standing around you at the operating theatre, table, sorry. Um, And it can be quite, quite a lot. Yeah. So first of all, I suppose, so the, the woman is brought in, she's put on the table, and there are a number of different people in the room. So these people might be the actual surgeon, so the obstetrician, the registrar, so that's the assistant to the obstetrician. You'll also have um, your scrub nurses, so there's mm-hmm. usually two of them. Yeah. Then you'll have your anaesthetist and your anaesthetist nurse. Yeah. Um, and then you'll also have, I feel like I'm missing one person, oh, the theatre tech. Theatre tech and your midwives. And the midwives as well, yeah. yeah. So there's quite a few people. And the most useless person in the room will sometimes be the medical student if they're in there. Always be the medical <laughs> student. <laughs> and so those are really the people there. So you've got about eight people there already. And then you've got kind of all the equipment and the beeping and stuff that occurs as well. Yeah. And so the woman is placed in a 15 degree left lateral tilt. All this means is that the woman is angled, usually like a foam wedge is placed under her, her. Yeah, under her kind of lower back and her bum. And that's yeah. to make sure that she's tilted to the left. And this is because a major artery called the inferior vena cava passes near the uterus. Yeah. And so if the woman is laying flat on her back, that can, that can become compressed. Yeah. And so this is why there's that left tilt. And that's not a good thing. No, we no. don't want that. No. Now, next, the actual surgery happens. So I suppose before that happens, let's talk about some other things that occur. So the woman is draped. And what that basically means is sterile sheets. They're usually blue. I don't know why they're blue, but they're blue. They're just blue. Um, They're they're kind of placed on the tummy, but also kind of like upright and hooked to the machine so that when mum's looking forward, she sees the back of the drape. Yeah, she does not see what's happening on the other side of that drape. And that's really important. Yeah. Yeah, so you won't be actually seeing what's going on in the operation. After this, before the incision is made, usually the anaesthetist has this kind of cooling silver block um, that's been in the freezer, that's freezing cold. And so what does... If it's been in the freezer, it's going to be freezing cold. That was was like me saying it's a bright, sunny day. Um, So it's really interesting because what happens with the epidural is the epidural gets rid of two things. It gets rid of pain but it also gets rid of temperature sensation. Yes. And so what the anaesthetist will do is, starting from the bottom of the tummy, he'll move the block up. Yeah. And there'll be a definite line of where the woman can't feel it and when she can feel it. Yeah. And this is basically just to let her know that there's definitely no sensation there. But also the anaesthetist will sometimes pinch the tummy as well, just to show to mum that there's no feeling. Yeah. So um, you might have seen this test done in birth suites as well because... Once, if you've had an epidural whilst you're still in birth suites, um, they tend to do these tests as well, just to ensure that, you know, mum's not feeling anything, epidural's not wearing off, and that mum's quite comfortable as yeah. well. And it's yeah. really to show mum that, you know, she's not going to feel anything. Yeah. When I say she's not going to feel anything, though, she will feel pressure. pressure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so 
She will feel the obstetrician pulling and pushing and things like that, but she won't feel any pain. Yeah. So now we get up to the actual bread and butter of the surgery. The procedure. Yeah. So now we have an incision being made to the lower part of the tummy. Yes. So you think about the pregnant tummy as kind of like a crescent shape and that incision is made at the bottom. Yeah, so it's just just above the pubic symphysis, yeah. correct? Yeah. So very low. Like a lot of people think it's made high, but it's actually made, made quite, quite low. low. Yeah. yeah. Not like the olden days. The olden days they used to do straight from top to bottom. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> a, um, a lot easier. A lot but easier. A but lot more problems. Yes. Yeah. And a lot more of a painful recovery as well. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in women that have had that sort of cut, the it's called trans no. Uh, the classical. The classical the yeah. classical cut. Um, they, they're not eligible for VBAC, are they? No, I, I think that's a contraindication. So you're not yeah. allowed to have a VBAC with yeah. that. And that's just because of the way that the cut's being made. You can imagine that that muscle, the uterus, is never really going to be the same again. Yeah. And so there's a really high risk of that scar rupturing, yeah. which is that uterine scar rupture that I think we've mentioned a, a few times now. Yeah, I think we have. Yeah. Yeah. So now... <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah. So now going into the actual incision, there are seven layers which are dissected. And dissection just basically means you're, you're cutting through the layers. Yes. And we're going to go through these seven layers. They're obviously not, they don't need to be known, but I think they're interesting. It's just fun. It's a bit of anatomy, a bit of anatomy and it's fun, fun. And it's fun to know about how you're made, really. Yeah. So <laughs> we start off with the first incision, which is the skin. Oh, nah, really? Uh, <laughs> we, start off, we start off with the skin. Um, and then now we move into fascia. So yeah. fascia are basically just things that surround muscles. Yeah. And we have two layers of fascia. We have campus fascia and scarpus fascia. <laughs> now, I have an excellent way of remembering no, it's not. which it's one comes terrible. first. And that is people camp outside. I think it's fantastic because, you know, campers camp. Uh, what if you're in a tent? You're in a tent. Does that technically still mean that you're outside? Yeah, but you camp outside though. Like you're not going to put a tent inside your house. You don't know. All right. Um, <laughs> moving along. Um, then you don't we know have, what I do. <laughs> then we have our rectus sheath. And our rectus sheath is the covering that covers our rectus muscle. So now we've gone through our skin, our carpus and scarpus. Our, yeah. <laughs> carpus and scarpus. You can't, you, can't, you can't outside. <laughs> so we have our skin, our campus fascia, our scarpus fascia, our rectus sheath, and our rectus muscle. Now next... We have our peritoneum. peritoneum. Oh, peritoneum. The peritoneum, yeah. Oh, and we have, our, we have three layers here. We have the abdominal, the parietal, and, and the, the visceral. visceral. And finally, the visceral peritoneum is taken and moved downwards. So it's reflected across the bladder. And now finally, we have our uterus. uterus. Yeah. yeah. And then we make a small incision into the uterus. And then the obstetrician can make that incision a little bit bigger by, by kind of pulling on it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we deliver baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So after the baby is delivered, the cord is clamped. Yes. So baby will be shown to mum. So mum, so baby will be held over the cloth. I'm doing the hand movements. Mm. Kind of like in the li- kind of like in the Lion King when they hold up Simba. Uh, yeah. Above the so rock. baby will be held up, uh, shown to mum. Baby is ten- then taken to a warm cot, and she's she or he is checked, mm-hmm. uh, weighed and wrapped in a swallow a swaddle. And this is similar to what we do in the um in birthing suites, except mum doesn't necessarily have that skin to skin contact that she would in birth suites. Yeah. Um so usually the weighing and the wrapping is done after about hour, an hour and a half, I think. Yeah. Around there. Mm-hmm. Um but here that's done first. So again, warm cot, checked, weighed and wrapped in a swad in a swaddle. Wrapped in a swaddle. <laughs> Wrapped in a swaddle. Um, partner is invited to take photos and obviously cut the cord and mum gets to say hello to baby. Yeah. 
And then after this, we have the placenta being delivered. And then those layers are sewn shut again. Yeah. So afterwards, the woman will be taken um, from the theatre to the ward and then monitored carefully. So now we really go into some of the complications that may arise and what some of the risks of the procedure are. So it's really important to note that this procedure is relatively safe, relatively safe, but like every other medical procedure that you will or already have experience, it does come with some risk and the risk should be addressed clearly with mum and partner. So obviously we have the anesthetic risk. Mm -hmm. We have the risk of perforating nearby structures. We have the risk of hemorrhage and the risk of infection of the wound, the urinary, urinary tract or the endometrium. Yeah. Uh, in baby, we have something called TTN, and that stands for transient tachyp tachypnea of the newborn. So this is something that lasts only a couple of seconds usually, and it basically means rapid breathing of the newborn. So baby will essentially breathe faster than what a normal baby would otherwise, and that's about 40 to 60 breaths per minute. This is because usually delivery via the tight vaginal passage squeezes fluid out of the lungs, and when this doesn't occur... Fluid stays in the lungs and can lead to TTN. Yeah. And so now we move on to the care following a C-section. So what can a woman expect? So generally, there's about a three-day hospital stay, but this can change depending on the hospital. And it can also change depending on whether you're in public or private. Yeah. And, and mum's general condition as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And first-time mums can take up to six weeks to recover fully. So there's no real heavy lifting during this period. Yeah. Let's go through some of the days quickly as well and what to expect if we look at it kind of like in a chronological order. So in day one, mum should really be up and should be walking. And this is to really um, help with bowel motions and to help with reducing the risk of clots forming. Yeah. By day two, she should be sh uh, showering. Yeah. And then by three, mum should start experiencing some milk letdown. And generally milk letdown does take a little bit longer to occur after a cesarean section as well. Yeah. There is obviously pain as well, which is entirely normal, but mum will be given the appropriate analgesia. And mums out there definitely don't feel scared to ask your medical team for the analgesia for pain requirement when oh, you need yeah. it. Yeah. Don't think that you have to Tough stay there out. and bear the pain. Absolutely no. not. Yeah, and that pain is completely normal. You've just been through a surgical procedure Absolutely. in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what can you expect following for your following pregnancy? So this is something that we spoke about earlier on in the episode, and this is a VBAC. So... Following a C-section, a woman can still have a vaginal birth for subsequent deliveries, and that's known as a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean. There are a few intricacies to go into here, so we are going to leave this for another episode in its own kind but of But I think episode. it's very important, though, because there are a lot of women that think that, you know, the cesarean is the be-all and end-all, and if they do have that, they can never experience a normal vaginal birth. Which is not but the case But this is definitely not the case. And no. so we definitely do think that this deserves its own episode. Yeah. Awesome. So ending our case from earlier on. So following the C-section, Sandra delivers a healthy baby boy, Daniel, and is taken to the ward. She stays at hospital. She stays in hospital for three days. And after successfully using the bathroom and showering is discharged home. I just want to let you know that um, Daniel was inspired by Daniel Andrews, who's been in hospital. The Get, on the Get on the beers. Get on the beers. So, yeah, I guess that's the end of our episode today. So, again, uh, you can follow us vo following our link tree. Mm -hmm. um, so, that's L-I-N-K yep. dot T-R, isn't it? Link tree. No, it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E -E forward slash oh, yeah, that's it. It's a really yeah. hard one to remember. I don't know why. <laughs> but you can search for us at Podstetrics on Google and it all comes up. Yep. Um, and then you can also listen to us on our streaming services. So, that's Spotify, Apple Music and CastBox. Yeah, beautiful. So thanks so much for listening, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, I'm Kayla. And I'm Evan. And thank you, guys. Take care of yourselves. Stay safe.